Chapter 2, Strengths and Weaknesses. Have you ever noticed that you can say the same thing to two kids and they'll respond differently? You may say, stay away from the stove, it's hot. And one child cautiously steps back and the other reaches for the burner. Announce a new family rule about screen time. And one teenager storms off while the other shrugs and moves on. Sympathetically say, you seem upset. Do you want to talk about it? And one child tearfully tells the whole story while the other accuses you of invading their privacy. Why is that? Maybe you've just chalked it up to one of life's mysteries and said things like, he's our tough child, or it's so much easier with her, or I wish every student was like him. Maybe you've accepted that each child is just different and there's nothing you can do about it. Or perhaps you're still struggling, trying to fix a behavior, overlook a quirk, or use discipline to mold your child into some version you'd prefer. At the root of it all, expectations. In the last chapter, I did my best to convince you that your expectations needed to align with the unique wiring of your child. When I say wiring, I'm referring to the child's temperament. Think of temperament as your child's first or native language. It's what comes naturally to them, their default, like their fingerprint and eye color. They're born with it. It's why even as infants, some children will babble and engage with perfect strangers, while others will wail when mom and dad steps out of sight. It has nothing to do with genetics or environmental influences, and no two kids are exactly the same. Temperament determines your child's interests, behaviors, and tendencies. It shapes every word they speak and how they hear every word spoken to them. It's why two toddlers hear hot, and one thinks danger, and the other thinks, hmm, let me see for myself. Importantly, this wiring will never change. This is good news and, well, not so good news. On the plus side, your role as an adult is not to fix your child, which likely hasn't been working anyway, but rather to help them become their best authentic self. On the other hand, those pesky behaviors that drive you nuts, they're likely there to stay. Understanding temperament will help you make sense of why a child thinks, speaks, and behaves the way that they do. It will help you to appreciate all the good stuff and have more patience and compassion for the behaviors that frustrate you most. The concept of temperament is thousands of years old. Greek physician Hippocrates, often referred to as the father of medicine, described four categories of human traits and behaviors that he believed were influenced by the humors or the four elemental fluids of the body. The original Greek names were sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. Those names can be a mouthful, so to simplify things, they're matched with colors. Later, a physician and philosopher named Galen applied these four categories to his study of human temperament. More than 2,000 years later, these classifications continue to be leveraged in modern psychology, 
influencing the work of Freud and Jung, informing the basis of personality profiles like Myers-Briggs or Right Path. My life's work has been devoted to using the concept of temperament to teach people how to speak kindly to each other. The tricky part is that what one person considers kind, another may not. The temperament's framework will teach you how to tell the difference. Before we jump into the four categories, let's zoom out one level. Two of the four temperaments are considered introverts, and the other two are extroverts. Though I want to define those terms in a new way for you. You may think that someone who is introverted doesn't like to be around other people, and that someone who's extroverted is more content with company. I want to think about the difference in terms of their words. Introverts direct their thoughts and feelings inward. They think before speaking. When it comes to kids, introverts are easy to overlook. They are the quiet students who rarely raise their hand, the soft-spoken teammates who are happy to carry the equipment bag, and the kind of children who prefer a good book and a comfy couch over a crowded party with loud music. Conversely, extroverts direct their thoughts and feelings outward. They think by speaking. We sometimes refer to them as talkers or external processors. They are hard to miss in the classroom as they shout out the answer before being called on, and in a game as they cheer on or correct their teammates. So that's introvert and extrovert. Moving on, two of the four temperaments are task-oriented, meaning they are inclined towards accomplishing things, and two are people-oriented, meaning they are inclined towards fostering relationships and connection. Let's see if we can hear the difference. Much of what comes out of the mouths of task-oriented kids involves getting things done or making progress. They'll often say things like, hurry up, it's time to go. Are you done with that yet? I'll take care of it. Let me just finish one more thing. The common denominator, the task that needs to get done. Kids that are people-oriented are mostly concerned with people. They'll say things like, that sounds fun, let's go together. Who's going to be there? I can't wait to see you tonight. I can come over and help you. You'll notice with people-oriented kids that the who is more important than the to-do. In the book, there's an image that serves as a baseline for the temperament's framework. Let me try to describe it to you. I want you to visualize a quadrant, a square divided into four sections. At the top two boxes of the quadrant, you'll find extroverts, and the bottom two boxes, you'll find introverts. The two leftmost boxes are people-oriented, and the two rightmost boxes are task-oriented. These four categories explain why some kids keep their thoughts and opinions to themselves, while others have too much to say. Get described as shy, while others are labeled as loud. Prefer being with friends, while others enjoy solitude. Decide based on facts, while others focus on feelings. Many of the tensions you have with the kids around you and the tensions they have with one another can be explained by the differences in wiring.
In my office, it sounds like this. She cares too much what her friends think. His or her lack of discipline is going to create a problem down the road. If she wasn't so busy on her phone, she's putting too much pressure on herself to make the honor roll. He's always goofing off at practice. When it comes to the kids in your life, in your classroom, or on your sports team, what's more important to them, people or tasks? Are they quick to speak up or slow to share? Knowing ahead of time whether a child is introverted or extroverted and task or people-oriented will help you reframe your conversations with them, and it just might shed some light on behaviors that haven't made much sense to you in the past. Let's move on. We're ready to meet the four temperaments. Sanguine yellow, choleric red, melancholic blue, and phlegmatic green. Every single child you interact with will fall into one of these categories, and no temperament is better than another. Each has unique strengths, weaknesses, and common tendencies that I'll explain in the next few sections. First up, sanguines. Sanguines hold the upper left corner of the quadrant, meaning they are extroverted kids who are also people-oriented. They're quick to share their thoughts and feelings and care a lot about the people around them. Every sanguine has strengths and weaknesses. Let's see if any of these descriptive words make you think of a child in your life. Yellow children are full of energy and enthusiasm. They tend to be expressive and animated. They're curious, they make friends easily, and they're often comfortable being the center of attention. But for every strength, they also have a weakness, such as being rambunctious and wiggly. They tend to be too loud. They have short attention spans. They do not like doing things alone and often interrupt or answer for others. Check out the Sanguine section in a grown-up's guide for kids' wiring for a complete list of the strengths and weaknesses. What matters most to Sanguine kids is having fun and making sure everybody else does too. They want to make the most of every moment and can always manage to see the bright side of things. Just because their yearbook superlative will probably be most spirited or most likely to be social media famous, don't assume that they aren't intelligent and capable. They are. I describe sanguines as speaking the language of people and fun. You'll often hear them using joyful, encouraging, animated, and people-oriented words and phrases like, let's practice our presentation together. That was the best dinner you've ever made. Strike them out. You can do it. Whoa, that's incredible. I actually got to sit down with some bright, bubbly, yellow kids on camera. If you'll take two minutes and check out my YouTube channel, I promise this hysterical glimpse of yellows won't disappoint. Sanguines are known for having loud strengths, like being persuasive and charismatic. They're also known for having loud weaknesses, such as being egotistical and showy. It's what makes them the life of the party or the source of the drama. Next, let's look at cholerics. Cholerics sit on the top right corner of the quadrant as extroverts who are task-oriented. 
They speak boldly and confidently and will get things done at all costs, even when people and feelings are getting in the way. Every choleric has strengths and weaknesses. Do any of these descriptive words make you think of a child in your life? Red children are competitive, decisive, confident. They're disciplined and productive. But again, for every strength, they also have a weakness. They can also avoid apologizing, be bossy or argumentative, be overly opinionated. They have a tendency to blame others and be quick-tempered. For a complete list of strengths and weaknesses, check out the choleric section of A Grown-Up's Guide for Kids Wiring. What matters most to choleric kids is having a well-thought-out plan that everybody sticks to. They can instantly figure out the right way to do things and rally others like classmates or teammates, siblings, and even parents to follow their lead. They don't always have to be in charge, but if no one else is calling the shots, they will. I describe Reds as speaking the language of power and control. You'll often hear them using logical, responsible, impatient, task-oriented words in phrases like, I'll handle it. What's taking so long? If we all do our part, we'll get this done on time. I'll show you. Watch me. You can't miss a red. If you'd like to see what I mean, check out the video of when I sat down with a few red kids on my YouTube channel. Cholerics are known for having powerful strengths, such as being authoritative and resourceful. But they're also known for having powerful weaknesses, like being arrogant and demanding. It's what makes them dynamic leaders worth following or the bullies on the playground. Let's move on to melancholics. Melancholics are the bottom right of the quadrant as task-oriented introverts. They think before speaking and tend to focus less on people and more on solitary activities like schoolwork, reading a book, or doing a puzzle. Every melancholic has strengths and weaknesses. Do any of these descriptive words make you think of a child in your life? Blue children are cautious, creative, compassionate, logical, and problem solvers. But for every strength, they also have weaknesses. They can also be moody, judgmental, withdrawn, suspicious, and lack self-confidence. For a complete list of strengths and weaknesses, check out the melancholic section of A Grown-Up's Guide for Kids Wiring. Melancholics have a knack for seeing and solving problems. They are what-if thinkers who like to be prepared. As students, they are often described as methodical and meticulous. Socially, they can come across as guarded, even though deep down they want to be invited and included. I describe melancholics as speaking the language of order and perfection. You'll often hear them using cautious, idealistic, analytical, or skeptical words and phrases like, Do you think that's a good idea? I'm not sure that's safe. This is how it's supposed to be done. I've been thinking. Even though it took a while for the blue kids to warm up, I have a great video that paints a perfect picture of melancholics. 
Be sure to check out my YouTube channel and see if their thoughtful answers sound like somebody you know. Melancholics are known for having deep strengths, like being focused and thoughtful. They're also known for having deep weaknesses, such as being overly introspective and unforgiving. It's what makes them compassionate friends or the toughest critics. Last but not least, the phlegmatics. In the lower left part of the quadrant sit the phlegmatics. These kids are people-oriented introverts. Wait, isn't that an oxymoron? No, because remember, when we talk about introverts, we're only talking about the manner in which they process their thoughts and feelings. Phlegmatic children think before speaking and prioritize people above all else. Every phlegmatic has strengths and weaknesses. Do any of these descriptive words remind you of a child in your life? Green children are easygoing, calm, patient, content, and kind. But for every strength, they also have a weakness. They can also be indecisive, unexpressive, and unenthusiastic, stubborn, messy, and sarcastic. For a complete list of strengths and weaknesses, check out the phlegmatic section of A Grown-Up's Guide for Kids Wiring. What phlegmatic kids care about most is everyone getting along. They don't like conflict or disappointing others, so it's common for them to comply or defer. Their easygoing attitude can be mistaken for apathy, but they would tell you that they're content to just go with the flow. I describe phlegmatics as speaking the language of calm and harmony. You'll often hear them using cooperative, supportive, hesitant, or tolerant words and phrases like, you pick, I'm good with whatever. Is there something I can do to help? I don't know, maybe we should wait and see. That's okay, I don't mind. I asked a few phlegmatic kids to describe a perfect day and their answers were so green. You can watch the video on my YouTube channel. Watch and see if you agree with me. Phlegmatics are known for having peaceful strengths, like being patient and forgiving. But they're also known for having peaceful weaknesses, such as having no sense of urgency and lacking self-motivation. It's what makes them the kindest of friends, but also the hardest to get moving. So those are the four temperaments. Sanguine, choleric, melancholic, and phlegmatic. What stood out to you? Did anything make you think of a particular child? Are the kids around you starting to make a little more sense? Maybe it's clear which temperament your granddaughter, student, or starting quarterback might be. If not, here are a few things that'll help you figure it out. Look for the strengths and weaknesses. Once you know about the temperaments, don't be surprised how often a choleric child's bossiness or a sanguine's restless energy jumps out at you. Sometimes slowing down enough to notice their behavior will give you all the context you need to figure out the child's wiring. Almost every word and action can be a clue. Things like self-deprecating comments, indecisiveness, exaggeration, or the inability to say I'm sorry all paint a small part of a big picture. Look beyond isolated behaviors for patterns. 
repeated displays of strengths and weaknesses that belong to the same temperament. Listen for the words that they use and the words they don't. Pay attention to the kinds of things a child says over the course of a week, and you're likely to notice that they do have sort of a native language. Some words and phrases come naturally, others don't. You probably won't hear a green child utter the words, hurry up, nor will you hear a yellow child say, I want to be alone. Again, the key is to look for clues and patterns. Every child occasionally sounds funny, bossy, detailed, or easygoing, so avoid rushing to conclusions. But Kathleen, can knowing my child's temperament really fix what frustrates me about them? You may be wondering what understanding temperament has to do with making your teen less stubborn or your toddler less defiant. Just hang with me. What you'll learn in the following chapters and the YouTube videos is that your child's wiring, their temperament, has everything to do with the tensions you experience. In fact, it is the roadmap to finally resolving them. This is what separates the temperament's framework from every other personality profiling tool out there. Take the Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, or DISC, for example, and what you learn is about you. We are going to turn the tables. Rather than expecting a child to change to fit our expectations, we're going to consider the child and their wiring first. The student is a sanguine. Therefore, it is unrealistic to expect him to sit still for a 90-minute class. The child is choleric. She is wired to speak her mind, even if she hasn't been called on yet. The student is melancholic. It is unreasonable to expect him to be comfortable ad-libbing a speech in the front of an auditorium full of his peers. The team captain is phlegmatic. He will not feel comfortable addressing conflict on the team. When you consider your child's wiring first, what you hope for most, less tension, more cooperation, less hassle, more joy, all becomes possible. You can leverage the strengths they've been gifted with and help them manage their weaknesses. This is not about justifying unhealthy behavior. Temperament is not an excuse or a weapon. A melancholic child may have a tendency to be critical, but that doesn't mean everybody else needs to tolerate the negativity. A choleric child may be a dominant leader, but that doesn't mean it's okay for them to mistreat others. Understanding a child's wiring gives you a starting point for your expectations and a guide for helping them grow. It reveals the opportunity you have to affirm them for who they are rather than expecting them to be somebody they're not, leave a lasting positive impression on the child through your words and actions, communicate your belief in them and cast a vision for who they will one day become, put an end to the cycle of unhelpful responses to frustrating behaviors. It all starts with your words. In the chapters that follow, I'm going to explain how to say the right things and avoid the wrong ones based on a child's temperament. Let's keep going.